Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support crippled content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Well, hello there. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Disability After Dark and wanting to engage in a conversation around sex and disability with me. This episode was really fun, and I'm excited to share it with you. Part of this podcast and doing this work as a disability awareness consultant is learning about disability. Learning about disability as somebody who embodies a disabled body and learning about disability through other people's experiences, not necessarily of disability, but of being othered themselves. I've learned so much about my sex and my experiences through listening to other people's discussions of their experiences of being marginalized or living in marginalized bodies and I couldn't do this work without their stories. One of the people who I admire doing this work talking about living in a marginalized body, particularly a fat body, is sex educator Dawn Sarah. I was on her podcast a few weeks back, Sex Gets Real, talking about disability. We had the best time, we laughed and we giggled and the minute we were done recording I said to her, I want you on my Disability After Dark podcast. I want to just talk to you and see what stuff comes up. Let's have a chat. She graciously agreed, and we just spent the last hour, as you'll hear, talking about sex, disability, fatness, marginalized bodies, consent. We laughed. We giggled. We even, I think we had an emotional bond at one point during the podcast. You should know that Dawn Sarah is a sex educator. She runs the Sex Gets Real podcast. She runs the Explore More Summit, which is an annual summit around sex and different bodies. Um, She is just fantastic, and I love everything about her. And we also geek out together about Orphan Black a little bit in this podcast and a, a lot in her podcast. You can hear me on her podcast at episode 154, if you want to pause and have a listen to that first. This is kind of a bookend to that. But she was an amazing guest, and I'm really, really excited to share this interview with you. So, without further ado, here's my interview with sex educator Don Sarah, right here on Disability After Dark. Hello, Don. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have to talk to you again. Yes. For, for any listeners who maybe didn't hear my episode of Don's podcast, we chatted a few weeks ago. It was so much fun, and I'm excited to do it again. 
It was so fun. Yeah, I'm really excited to to meet your listeners and to see where our chat goes as we talk all about bodies and sex and whatever else comes up. And all the fun things. Yes. So you're just my one of my favorite podcasters and people out there generally. Um, so I told the audience a bit about what you do just before this. Why don't you reintroduce yourself and let us know who you are? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my name is Dawn Sarah, and I am a sex educator, and I host an annual summit called the Explore More Summit. I have my podcast, Sex Gets Real, and I also do one-on-one coaching with folks around sex and relationships. So basically, my whole life is the study of and talking about sexuality and kind of my tagline is sex is a social skill. So I think it's something that we can practice and develop and be awkward at together. <laughs> totally. I'm all about awkward sex. That's kind of my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I was just reading over your sex is a social skill, kind of the lead in on your website. Uh, and it kind of inspired a post for my disabled thing that I'm starting and I haven't really talked about that much on the podcast but disabled is a hashtag that I started d-i-s-a-y-b-l-e-d to talk about disability stuff and one of the quotes you say in your work that I really appreciate that I, I applied to the hashtag this morning before we recorded was no one teaches us how to be vulnerable how to have vulnerable awkward conversations with a lover or how to find our voice in moments of deep intimacy or social pleasure. I think the same can be said for disability-related stuff, inside and outside of sex. No one teaches us how to be disabled. No one teaches us how to live in a marginalized body. There's no handbook for how to be a person with a disability or how to live in a body of color or how to live in a fat body or any of that stuff. And I think we learn to perform different levels of normalcy in these bodies. I totally agree. I think I think the word so um a lot of the writing that I've been doing lately is about the difference between performance and experience and how almost everything that we do is about performance. We're trying to perform normalcy. We're trying to perform um, kind of this very narrow definition of what it means to be normal and or sexy and or desirable. And um, I think you're so right. Like there's not a handbook for being in a disabled body or being in a fat body or being in a black body or, um, or even like there's not even a handbook really for you know, sex. And I think there's people doing work out there in these spaces, but it's certainly not mainstream. And what I've found is that it takes a lot of vulnerability and awkwardness and messing up and feeling kind of terrible to get to the experiencing (laughs) part, right? Like, You just have to fumble it and you have to be like, well, that didn't work. And sometimes that feels like stomach achingly awful. And sometimes it's kind of funny and great and a way to connect with people. But I think it takes a lot of courage to decide to stop performing if you have the luxury to do that. And I think there's others of us that are just kind of different or marginalized. And we're kind of forced to do that in a world that doesn't know how. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when you are, in my case, disabled and queer, the performance of masculinity and the performance of, for me as a as a queer, disabled, male-identified person, the performance of masculinity is really, I don't want to say it's important. The more and more I do this work, I am sloughing away the the confines of that. But when I was first coming out, it was really important for me to portray this this really strong masculine sense so that I could somehow mask my disability stuff. Um, and I think that it's really kind of tragic that we are so clinging to this performance. And when you're in another body, you crave that performance of normal normalcy and you almost forget to experience the rest of it. I totally agree. And you know what I think is really interesting too is even the people who are in thin, white, young, able bodies, who are economically well off, I think often they don't even realize that they're performing 
to stay in that like narrow piece of the pie, because the entire world tells them that if any of those things become not true, then you're less worthy. And so there's this like, um, I think this pain around needing to maintain the performance, whereas then for those of us in marginalized bodies in whatever capacity that is, like I know for me in a fat body, I spent well up into my mid or late 20s desperately trying to trick everybody that I wasn't fat, right? So trying to wear flattering clothes, whatever that is, and trying to avoid certain types of colors or patterns or trying to hide my body with the hope that if I just wore the right thing and had the right kind of makeup, people wouldn't notice that I was fat and maybe then treat me like I was an acceptable human being. And and to start to move away from that, to actually start to embrace like, maybe I don't need to perform this hyper-masculinity or maybe I don't need to perform um, a trying to achieve thinness at all times um, can be really scary for us, but it can also be scary for the people around us. Um, I think, cause then they don't know what to do or how to deal with us. I totally agree. I think it's, I think the performance aspect of bodies is really the more and more I see it, especially in my particular sect of queer culture, I see it so much that it's just really refreshing to see somebody who doesn't perform and to, to start to break away from all that. Um, and there've been moments in my sex life where now that I think about it, I'm, I was listening to you tell that story and I was thinking about all the times that I tried to hide my wheelchair by wearing a certain clothing or by, by looking masculine enough or by playing the part enough when really I couldn't hide my disability at all. And if I just embraced it, I would be a lot happier. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that kind of, um, started my journey to, waking up a little bit was I read this thing by the militant baker who is a fat activist. And she said, um, it was 10 things nobody tells fat women. And one of them was people know you're fat before you take your clothes off. So why are you so afraid to take your clothes off? And it just kind of like hit me in the heart that, you know, I'd spent decades of my life thinking that I was actually tricking people and hiding from people. And I had this deep anxiety about getting naked because I was like, Oh God, now they're really going to see that I'm fat. And to have somebody actually say like, no, people know you're fat, like just by looking at you with your clothes on. So that means if they're choosing to be with you, they're choosing to be with you knowing that you're fat, like you're not tricking anybody. And that was just kind of this like, maybe I'm getting a lot of this wrong. <laughs> maybe I've been telling myself a story that's really not true. And so I started kind of slowly trying things and asking myself questions and looking for other people that were talking about these things. Cause you're so right. Like spending energy trying to hide a chair or trying to hide um, a fat body or trying to hide, you know, like all kinds of different stuff. Like even, um, you know, I think one of the things that Melissa Toller talks about, who's a body activist, and she's also a black woman, is like society tells her that her super curly hair and her wide nose are unacceptable. And she can try and change those things, but then she's causing herself all of this pain. And I think that's kind of true also for like my experience of my body. And it's just fascinating, right? That we're like so distracted by all these things that we're not actually experiencing ourselves. And it, I think it happened so much for me. Like Now that we talk so much about experience, I'm listening to you talk going, oh my God, nobody's ever said to me, Andrew, you're disabled. Like no one's, I've had to tell them that I am. Mm -hmm. And it would be really nice to stop and have somebody that I was, was sexually attracted to or going to fuck or play around with or get to know say, no, I know you're disabled. I, I see it. Before you get in the chair or after you get out, I still see you're disabled. Mm -hmm. Like it would be really... I think powerful for me to hear somebody say that. So when you were talking about this quote, I was, I was substituting the word fat for disabled and going, no one's ever said that to me yet. That would be really, that would be nice. Cause I wouldn't have to be the one saying it all the time. Yes, exactly. And like, and knowing that if someone sees this part of us and they're still choosing to talk to us and they're still choosing to flirt with us and they're still choosing to get naked with us, right? It's kind of like, 
I don't have to worry about duping you or expend all of this energy. Like I used to spend so much time worried about are the lights on and how can I hide certain parts of my body by wearing certain types of lingerie or keeping certain parts of my clothes on. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that if that's where you are. But like for me, just looking back and realizing like the people that were choosing to be with me knew that I had a big tummy or that I had, you know, big thighs or whatever it was, um, whether or not the lights were on. But I spent so much time worrying about those things that I was never actually like really showing up for myself, much less this other person. And so I think you're so right, like to have someone just say like, I see you, I see your body, I see what's going on for you. And like, I'm showing up, I'm here. So let's do something fun. I think there's so much just like joy and liberation. And like, it takes the pressure off exactly like you said. Wouldn't it be awesome if in a porn, somebody stopped and said that? Like, hey, I see you. Like, we talked about this on your show. Like, wouldn't it be great if the porn stopped and the people said, yeah, we see each other. We're good. Let's keep going. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Like, I would love to create those kinds of videos of just like, you know, I think there's this fear in our culture, especially when we start talking about like consent culture, but like, we have this weird kind of narrative that if we talk about sex, if we talk about consent, that somehow it suddenly makes everything not sexy. And of course, it's all in how you deliver it. And I think consent can be super sexy when someone's saying, I would really love to do this super hot thing to you. Like, how would that feel for you? Um, That sounds super hot. Let's do that thing you just said, right? So like consent can be sexy. But I think like too, even in porn, which is designed to be a fantasy, to actually have people have just a little bit of a real conversation, just a line or two of like, I see you and I see your body and let's do this super hot thing together. I feel like there's just so much permission for viewers of like, oh, it's okay to say these things. And then super hot stuff happens. So clearly it's hot to say these things, right? And so I totally love that. Like, yeah, let's make super amazing porn that includes all kinds of different bodies where we're not trying to pretend like that's not the body and where we're also not fetishizing the body. See, fetishizing, and I've talked about this before, fetishizing is such a weird, such a weird line for me because I love it, and I also understand why people don't love it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, as a disabled person, to be fetishized is kind of hot, in a, in, as long as there's respect back and forth. If, you, if, my, if my wheelchair is part of what's going give to give you, give you like that rush of, like, oh my god, I want to do things, I'm going to take that and run with it. And I'm going to fetishize myself Mm -hmm. to make it comfortable. Yeah, I think that respect piece is the important one, which I think we talked about a little bit on my show, too. Just like, I'm super down if you are like, I love like big bodies. They turn me on for whatever reason. And so you're seeing me, you're appreciating my body, but you're also seeing me as a human being. Like, yeah, that is super hot. But if we get to a place where you're objectifying me, and so now it's just about the fat body and not the person residing inside of it. um, You know, that's, I think, where we see a lot of like, trans porn going and a lot of BBW porn, I think is, is changing. Like there's a lot of people who are doing fat bodied porn, that's super different than it was years ago. It used to just be like, all about the fat, and it didn't matter at all about the person. Um, And I totally can see like, if someone's like, your chair is so hot, and like, I totally want to just like, fuck you while you're in it, or like, be in it with you or touch it and just like incorporate that into the experience. Because I feel like, Um, What I'm hearing from you is like, that's just so validating of like, I see you from head to toe and I see your life and like, this is hot and let's just like bang it out in whatever way we're going to do. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so hot. I have to, it's the hottest (laughs) when it's done right. I've had it done wrong too. I've had people be like, your wheelchair is so hot and I want to lick all, you lick your chair. And I'm just like, um, what about you if you lick me? Cause I'm right here. (laughs) Um, So I've had, I've had both. (laughs) Both things happen, and it's been hot in both ways, but I think to fetishize disability, it's such a tough thing for me because I get both sides. Mm-hmm. 
and I, you kind of, when you're in another body, you kind of have to, sometimes I feel, and going back to the consent piece, consent when you're disabled and othered looks a little bit differently. And I'm going to say this carefully, but I think when we look at consent, sometimes for me in a disabled body, sex only comes around once every six, seven months. So if somebody is showing up to do me, with me, and they want to do something that I, that I either haven't tried or haven't considered, I kind of, my brain kind of goes, well, they're here, I might as well give it a shot, because sex is not something that's easily accessed for me. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing that I want more of us to talk about. Um, you know, I was, I was interviewing Virgie Tovar a couple of months ago, and she is a, a fat activist, and she was talking about how one of the things that she's noticed is that for people in marginalized bodies, and we are specifically talking about fat bodies, um, you know, there's kind of this like um, low level trauma that exists because you've spent your whole life being ignored or mistreated or just kind of used because people are just like, eh, it's just like a fat chick. I guess that's what I'll take when there's nothing else available. Right. Right. Or um, like Virgie and I have both had the situation where like someone was super willing to get down with us and have rock and sex in the privacy of like a hotel room. But if you wanted to go out for dinner, they don't want to be seen with you. And so, like, I think a lot of marginalized bodied people can kind of relate to that. But I think, like, that also is an interesting thing when it comes to consent because, you know, I've talked about how I have agreed to certain sexual acts in the past because I was afraid that if I didn't, the person would leave and I felt like I wasn't going to have another opportunity. And what I'm hearing from you is something kind of similar of sex isn't something that comes along every day. It's for you every couple of months. And so the, your if way I, of approaching lucky, it. It could, be, it could be a couple of months, it could be a year. Yeah. It could, be, it could be a really long time, which, so the idea of consent, and I agree with you, the idea of consent is so having the feeling of if I don't do this, the person will leave and I'll, I won't get the chance again. So it's almost like you're not, you don't care about the person. You care more about, you care more about the experience to put it on your belt to to at least for me to conform to this idea of normalcy that may or may not be the healthiest Mm -hmm. and so like when when i would when the person would would say oh let's do this i would say um sure okay all right knowing that if i didn't i might not get a chance to do it in a year so i better and i wanted the experience to say yeah i've done that of course i've done that of course i've done it because that's what everybody does right so of course i've tried that i'm totally good with this even if I really wasn't the best with it. And also because like when you're disabled, the idea of sex and doing certain things, you might not have ever had the chance to experience it. So you kind of like, well, I guess I should try because that's what everyone else is doing. So I know um, I have pretty strong feelings about the consent must be enthusiastic because I think there's a lot of situations and I I think, you know, kind of where this comes in is this is a very nuanced conversation and we exist in a culture that is a rape culture that does not understand consent at a very basic level. Um, And so I understand why there's a movement among sex, sex educators and sexual assault centers and all these things to, to polarize consent of like, nothing is consent unless it's an enthusiastic, ongoing, voluntary yes. And like, I totally agree with that. But I also think that there's more nuance to it that gets overlooked and leaves a lot of people out, like specifically when we're talking about sex workers, who their livelihood depends on certain things. And so because of capitalism and labor issues, like they may agree to things that they're not super enthusiastic about, but they're still consciously choosing it for themselves. And for me, that consent counts. And like, I don't think we always have to be enthusiastic about it for a variety of reasons, as long as we're choosing it from a place of understanding, like I am choosing this for myself. And, and so I'm wondering, like, what do you think would be better for consent conversations specifically around folks who have disabilities? Like how can we have better conversations in talking about what consent looks like when we're folding in these kinds of experiences you're talking about? I think that sex educators need to talk about, first of all, we need to have whole sessions about sex and disability from 
from a educational standpoint and from a consent standpoint. It's a whole hours of like, let's talk about how consent looks differently. When I, my friend said it really, really positively the other a few, the other day or a few months ago, maybe the other day, or she says it a lot. So we have this conversation a lot, my friend and I, and she says to me all the time, yes, looks differently for somebody with a disability because when I say yes to you, I'm saying yes to you getting me out of my mobility device. I'm saying yes to you undressing me. I'm saying yes to you putting me in the bed. I'm saying yes to you getting me into that position. So I think sex educators need to have need to open their idea to consent doesn't just mean yes to the act. It means yes to the whole experience of what's occurring here before, during, and afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think that would really open people's view of consent up a lot because after sex, as a person with a disability, there's so much stuff that happens. And before, too, because of the, because of the, rooted, the rooted roots of ableism kind of cling to that whole experience. So when I say yes, I'm really allowing you into an experience that I'm terrified of too, just as much as my partner may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about like so many things and like, I, I love so much, like, you know this, but one of the things I love so much about the work you do and the way you share yourself is that you admit that you're just as scared as someone else who may not know what they're doing. And like, That to me is so missing from so many of these conversations of like, you know, when we say sex can be awkward and messy and clunky and kind of bizarre, but kind of awesome. And like, sometimes you can laugh about it. And sometimes it just hurts your feelings. I think what gets left out of that is like, the personal stories. And I love that you just said that this too. And that for me is just like modeling such beautiful um, vulnerability and behavior. And like, that's something I try to do as much as possible. And so like, I just love that you just said that it just makes my heart happy. Oh, thanks. I mean, my brand has kind of grown away from, away from performing this normative idea of disability and kind of grown into this performing this vulnerable, scary, fucked up part of disability that no one talks about. Like that's what I'm starting to embrace more. And I love my work so much more now because if I by saying I'm afraid, I'm not I'm not less than, I'm more than because I'm telling you my truth and my experience. And I'm if somebody's hearing that and saying, Yeah, that I feel that way too, maybe they, you know, it'll give them the boost for the day to feel better about themselves. And I hope that I can do that. Yeah, I love that so much. I um One of the things that I've been noticing a lot is some of the work I've been doing is creating space for people to talk about their loneliness. And, um, and part of that through admitting times when I've felt lonely, even in relationship, you know, when like, I think sometimes it's so even more heartbreaking in some ways to like be in a relationship with someone and just felt feel endlessly alone and invisible. And, being able, people feeling safe enough to be able to say, I feel lonely, I am in loneliness, or I said the wrong thing. And I feel terrible about it. And kind of having those vulnerability hangovers, I feel like that's so much of what's missing from relationship talk from sex talk from body talk, you know, it's kind of like, I think we're starting to see a shift, but so much of what I see right now in the world is like how to give the best blow job, how to orgasm every time, how to make her squirt. And it's kind of about these, like, again, performing a specific kinds of sex and then, you know, how to make him fall in love with you by date three. And, um, and I mean, I mean isn't it annoying when you read that stuff and you see those headlines? Cause I see them all the time in queer male culture. I see how to be the best bottom, how to be the greatest top, how to make, mm-hmm your lover come really hard. I see them all the time in male on male culture. And I think, well, do you have any of those tips Are any of those tips geared to my body? Right. Are any of those tips, like when you see it in the work you do, do you see any of them that say, Hey, as a fat body person, here's how you could give a really good blowjob. Probably. I mean, probably not. Nope. And like, and none of those guides, none of those tips, none of those conversations about like the ideal love and how to get them to propose, like none of those things are actually showing us how to have the conversations that we really need for connection. You know, they're not, 
they're not modeling for us how to say like, Hey, my body doesn't do that thing. Um, so like maybe we can do something super sexy in another way. Like there is literally nothing out there that says to say that and how to say that. And, and beyond that, like how to receive that. Right. I think there's so many people that if someone was like, Hey, I'm in a fat body or I have this kind of disability and, um, my body super doesn't do that. So can we find another thing? Like the people on on the receiving end of that might suddenly feel super awkward and like, Oh God, now I don't know what to do. And like, that's okay. But nobody's telling us that that's okay. Yeah. Nobody's telling. And when I experienced that with disability, and I've mentioned this before, when I experienced that with disability, the, the person will usually go, Oh no, your disability is no problem. And then I will explain to them that I need this and I need this and this is what I need. And they go, Oh, I didn't realize that you were that disabled. Oh, I wasn't, I didn't. So like, I would love to see something where a, a guy that says, "Hey, my body doesn't do that. <laughs> how do we how do we do this?" Yes. I would too and like Yeah, I'm planning some video essays actually over the next couple of months of just kind of highlighting certain clips from like Hollywood movies and Hollywood shows that kind of show the ways that we avoid vulnerable discussions and we avoid honesty um, or the way that, that we're told to avoid honesty and vulnerability, right? Cause first, most of us, we learn how to relate to each other, what sexy is, how to have sex from pop culture, because we have yeah. terrible sex education and we don't have any relationship education in our lives. And, um, and so I want to start kind of showing like what's missing from these conversations. Who's being left out? Cause you know what? It's lots of people. So many people. And it's unfortunate that in pop culture, what I'm what we're seeing a lot of is pop culture, especially around sex, and I'm sure you know this, sex sex pop culture is being fed to us through white, cisgendered, able bodied, thin, quote, conventionally good looking people, and it's damaging. So damaging. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. And like I think that people are hungry for more. I think that people want juicier, more nuanced conversations. They just don't know where to turn or how to have them. And so there's kind of this like weird, this doesn't quite feel right, but I don't know what the alternative is and who's out there. And, and so, you know, and am, just, I, am I allowed to ask for this? Am I allowed to say I want something different than what I see? Cause pop culture tells me I'm not allowed to. Right, exactly. And like, I know for me, um, you know, I had to hit a really, really, really painful place before I started kind of asking myself some questions about like, maybe, maybe what I've been telling myself isn't true. Maybe what other people have been telling me isn't true. And there's grief in kind of saying like, maybe these things I've held for 25 years, um, and beat myself up over aren't true. And kind of having to grieve that, that story that you've held so painfully to yourself. But like, I find that a lot of people don't actually start asking these questions until they reach um, some really painful experience or some really terrible rejection um, and or some change in their body. Right. And that's a terrible place to have to confront some of these stories. So, like, wouldn't it be so much more amazing if from the time we were born And all through school, we had these conversations about like, let's talk about disabled bodies. Let's talk about fat bodies. Let's talk about bodies of color. Let's talk about intersex bodies. Let's talk about all the variety of bodies and all the different ways that we can like talk about them and experience them. And, and beyond that, what I want is from the youngest of ages for us to actually be getting education around open, honest communication because if we can ask good questions and share ourselves openly, then it kind of doesn't matter what it is that's different about us in, in a sense, right? Like there's nuance to all of these things. Yeah. But like if people just knew to even ask about my experience instead of just kind of forging ahead and assuming so many things would have been different. <laughs> or, and can you kind of tell me, and I'm curious, I have two questions that I want to lead into from there. And it's so beautiful that you said that. I have two questions that I want to lead in from that. Um, A, do you feel comfortable sharing the kind of a part of the experience that led you to ask those questions for yourself? Mm-hmm. And B, 
what do you think the connections are between the disabled body and the fat body, if you think there are any? Oh, those are good questions. Um, okay, so my story. So I was in a seven-year relationship with someone who was trans. And probably for the last three years of the seven years that we were together, I was feeling like this wasn't a very good fit for us. I loved the person very much. We had a beautiful home together, but um, it didn't feel good. And we didn't really know how to communicate, but I was afraid of leaving the relationship because I was afraid I would never find someone else who loved and accepted me in a fat body. And it just got to the point where after a year of really us struggling to, to kind of even have the most basic of conversations, I was just feeling heartbroken, like all the time and lonely all the time. And like, we weren't offering each other the best of what we could offer anymore. And, you know, we tried a little bit of relationship counseling and, we hadn't had sex in years. And one of the main reasons, there was a couple of reasons, but one of the main reasons I kept staying was because I was so terrified that if I had to start putting myself out there again, I was just going to get rejected over and over and over again because of my fat body. Like I had internalized these stories that no one in the world would ever want to touch me because of how my body looked. And we ended up breaking up and I kind of put myself out on some of the dating apps. And I remember this one guy was expressed some interest and, um, and the day that we were meeting up for the first time, we had decided it was going to be a little bit of a hookup situation. It was my first time in my whole life at, you know, God, I don't know, 30 something. I'm doing a hookup and I was throwing up for the two days before our meeting, because I was so dreading. I I just knew to my core that when he saw me naked, he was going to say, Oh, F this I'm out and like, leave me there. And that did not happen. He showed up and he totally was enamored and we ended up having kind of awkward, but super fun sex. It was the first time I had had sex with someone that had a penis in 13 years because I had been in lesbian and trans relationships that whole time. And that must have been a new experience. That was a whole new world. (laughs) Yes, it was so new. Like there was so much new about that, right? Like letting myself be seen, having a hookup. And it was someone who had a penis, like, oh my God. And, and so I kind of like at that moment, like this did not go the way that I had been telling myself it was going to go. And isn't that almost more terrifying than it not, and then it going wrong? Cause yes. I think when you're in a marginalized body and for me as a disabled person who wants to fuck all the time and gets rejected all the time based on that, I am best friend for that level of rejection, that level of rejection. And I, could sit and have a three-hour conversation and laugh about it, and we'd be fine. Best friends. <laughs> and But when you start accepting me, I am fucking terrified. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly. Actually, when we, like, so my friend let me borrow her apartment and um, for our little, like, hookup. And when we got there, and I realized, like, when my dress came off and I was standing there in my brawn panties and he didn't run away... I then kind of hit this wall of like, oh shit, like this is going to happen. I hadn't thought that far ahead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like now what? (laughs) I don't have a, I don't have a, a a runaround for this. Like what, what what happens next? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I kind of told him like, I kind of don't know what to do now. And he was like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Which was really nice. He had experience having sex with someone in a fat body. And so like, like I had had an experience years before um, where someone had said, like, I'll have sex with you, but like, I've never had some sex with someone in a body as big as yours. So like, I kind of don't know what to do. And like, do you do things different? And I just remember like the way he said it was not like, "Ooh, your body is so like yummy. And I would love to know what works for you. It was kind of like, ew. I've never been with somebody as big as you. So like, do I need special something? And it was just this very 
Right. And so like that, that crushed me. And so like to have someone who was like, oh, I got this, you know, it was just kind of like, maybe I'm not telling myself the truth about a lot of things. And that's when I started like, yeah, exactly. So it's just like, okay, I have some rewriting to do. And it, and it's like still ongoing, right? It's still ongoing, but, um, yeah, that was kind of the big catalyst for me. Like I had always told myself that I, because I was fat, I wasn't allowed to wear dresses. And so I spent until I was probably, I don't know, 31 or 32 having worn a dress one time. And it was at my mom and my stepdad's wedding. And I love dresses and I think they're super cute. And I was like, well, maybe if I was wrong about this one thing, I'm wrong about other things. Like maybe if I wear a dress, people won't be disgusted by my body. And so I got one dress and I tried it and everyone was telling me how much they love my dress. And I was like, oh my God, there's so many things I've been wrong about. And now I actually have a chance to kind of like try being seen in a new way, which comes with a whole different level of terror. Yeah. Right? There's a but, whole different level of like excitable terror about that. Yeah. Excited exactly. to try me also like, what the fuck do I do? What's happening now? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, almost like, it's almost like going through when you're in a marginalized body, I think you go through puberty three times. You go through actual puberty, which is horrible by itself. And then you go through like 20 puberty. And then I'm th- I'm going to be 33 in like two weeks. I feel like when I when you're in your 30s, you go through a whole other level of puberty that is totally like, okay, enough. I have to be an adult now. But I have to be an adult in a different body. And I'm supposed to be okay with all this stuff. But guess what? I'm not okay with any of this still. What do I do? <laughs> what do you mean I'm still figuring it out? Yeah, like shit. <laughs> When does this shit stop? Guess Please. what? It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, so, am I, and the next question, that was a great story, by the way. We could have had that story for an hour. Oh. Um, <laughs> the next question is, so what do you think the linkages are between, like, I, the whole this whole conversation has brought, like, seven or eight linkages between the fat body and the disabled body, but what do you, do you see any, like, direct linkages there? I think just kind of like, I think there's lots, right, of just like experiences and talking and awkwardness. But I think like the main difference that I see is we live kind of in this like very oppressive, um, uh, hyper-masculine culture that values a very specific kind of body And I think for people who are in bodies that are well outside of that, you know, so I think that um, like there's different types of privilege. And to me, we live in a a culture that fetishizes thin bodies, that values thin bodies above all else and places value in them as if they're more valuable than other bodies. And they're not. But that's what our culture tells us. So if you're like 15 or 20 pounds overweight, you're going to get a different kind of privilege than someone who's 200 pounds overweight. Right. Right. And, and so I think there's different levels and I'm sure there's similar things within the disabled community of like, it can be super invisibilizing. I know, um, cause I have friends who have invisible disabilities because people don't realize that you're living with a disability, but that also means that you can pass in a lot of ways that someone who is in like a mobilized chair wouldn't be able to pass. And yeah. so like, I think that, when we're talking about bodies that are fat, when we're talking about bodies that are disabled, like we move through the world in a way where we can't hide that we don't fit what's expected of us. And so we are consistently experiencing microaggressions and we're being... And micro traumas, micro traumas all the time. Like that whole story of you in a dress, it was cute and I loved it, but I'm sure for you, there was a little bit of trauma every single time you thought about wearing a dress. Yeah. Yeah. It took a long time. It took me um, probably about a year of wearing dresses almost every single day before I was even able to kind of like, whew, okay, I'm not having the anxiety today. Yeah. You know, and kind of like undoing that. So you're right. Like there's this trauma of like, I'm sure you've been stood up or I'm sure you've had someone, right. Or someone show up and then like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. And I had a guy actually, and we've all had this. I think I had a guy actually leave me once <laughs> he go. we got out of the elevator and he walked over and he goes oh my god i have an emergency i have to go to the er and i was like really 
Yeah. <laughs> really? You're actually going to do this? Like, this is not a TV thing? You're really going to... Okay. And he laughed and he ran out and he was like... "It's," And then he texted me. He's like, uh, it's because you were in a chair. And I was like, wow. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> the balls on you to tell me the truth. <laughs> like, right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and I've had like... Um, I've had people lie extensive weeks long lies to just get me in bed. And then the second the sex happened, be like, by the way, none of that was true. Um, I would never be seen with you in public. And then like, right. So so how do you like, how do you take that in? How do you react to that? Like when somebody says I would never be seen with you in public, what are you supposed to do? Like, what is the, yeah. I mean, for me, like, for me, there was definitely some anger, but I think what was more present for me was he confirmed all of my worst fears. So maybe those stories I'm starting to let go of are actually super true and I need to cling to them even tighter. Wow. That's, you know? that's, that's tough. Like, yeah. This, this is what I'm saying about going through puberty again. Like, yes. We have to go through all the stuff again that makes you feel like a 13-year-old kid that nobody's going to ever want to love because <laughs> your body is different. Yeah. And you know what I think is so interesting too? And like, I know you talked about this a little bit on my show about how so much more than therapy, you just really want like peer support groups for people with disabilities so that you can just like sit in space and feel validated. And like, that for me is true too, because there's so many in my people, people in my life who are not fat. And so they just can't like they, they can, they can hold space for me. They can love me. They can tell me that no matter what happens, they're going to accept me, but they can't actually understand what it feels like to have that happen or to have someone like ask you, you. Right. Or like, you know, I've had people make comments about the food that I'm buying at the grocery store um, because they feel like they can police my body. And so, you know, like people who aren't in a fat body can't actually understand what those microaggressions are like and even those like huge rejections are like. And so for me, starting to find fat activists and people who were um, like, just being so radically vocal about like, hey, these are my experiences and they're fucked up and it's not okay. And you're not alone. And to be able to actually share that with people has been like wonderfully healing and kind of removed me from the isolation that I thought I was the only one who was going through that for so long. Yeah. And I, as a disabled person, feel even now when I do the work that I do, I mean, there are there are a bunch of us doing work around sex and disability, but in terms of queerness and disability, there's a handful of us. So sometimes you do feel like you're the only one repeatingly repeating, saying the same thing and telling people like, this is me, accept me, like here I am. It can be exhausting. Do you feel that way in a fat body trying to do this work? I do. Um, I think that I think the thing that I find most exhausting is like um, people who dismiss my experiences. And I get that a lot of you, like I'll share a very vulnerable story about, you know, and like the way I feel about my body now is very different than it was like five years ago, but it's an ongoing journey. And I like sharing where I've been and where I am so that people know they're not alone. But then I have people who like come in, well, you shouldn't feel that way about your body. Your body's amazing. You should just love your body. Like, and, and it's kind of like, let me swipe away a lifetime of lived experiences and pain and just pat you on the head and tell you, you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. That is where I get exhausted because in that moment I have to decide, am I just going to let that go because I don't want to deal with it? Or am I actually going to like, find the spoons to say that really hurts. And I know you mean well, but what you're doing is trying to invisibilize my lived experience. And like, I have to have that conversation a lot. And so like, that's where I get tired. It's exactly when people tell me not to say cripple, it makes me like my blood boils. Cause I'm like how you cripple embodies my experience. 1 million percent for me. I would never put it on somebody else without their consent. But for me, it's my word that I've reclaimed for me. 
and I put it in all my writing and I talk about it a lot on this podcast and it's what I it's what I use to identify myself. So when I have somebody and I've had people comment, Oh my goodness, don't use that word. It's such a so derogatory. And I'm like, okay. In certain places, yeah. But also you've just told me that my experience isn't valid. Mm-hmm. And that's that can be so hard, especially when it comes from somebody the hardest times I hear that is when it comes from somebody that you're attracted to and that you want to like engage with and then they say shit like that and you're like oh wow my, de- <laughs> my my desire to like get with you just like dropped by like 20 percent yep yep like, like my, let's keep your mouth shut <laughs> yeah my emotional boner for you just disappeared like i can't anymore and it's happened a bunch of times where like i've had guys tell me in bed that oh don't worry about your disability it's no big deal well, what if it is a fucking big deal and why can't it be why shouldn't it be and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I just sucked your dick and I don't want to ever do it again. Because you just said that thing you said. Why? <laughs> do you realize what you've done? Why? You ruined it for yourself. Why? <laughs> yes. And like going all the way back to the very beginning of the hour, right? It's because like none of us have the handbook for doing this. And so people say really stupid and sensitive shit. So such insensitive. So if we did have a handbook... What would the title of the handbook be? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a good one. I don't know. Um, oh, I'm just, like, my mind's going in a different, like, a million different places. But I kind of feel like it's, like, uh, I think the handbook needs to be something like, um, like, you'll always mess up and that's okay. Or something like that, you know, or like it's awkward for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> sex and other bodies, like yeah, yeah, and like because what I because what I hear when people say that things like that is like I'm super uncomfortable to admit that I don't know what to say or I feel super awkward right now. And so I'm just going to kind of say the thing I think I'm supposed to say. And again, that's that performance, right? And so if all of us were better at just kind of being like, like I've been trying on this phrase of, I really don't know what the right thing to say is right now, but I just want you to know I'm here. That's actually really, like, and I, I said this on your show where I said, if, if somebody said to me, like, I see you're in, I see you have a disability and I think it's hot and I want to get to know you anyway, but I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. <laughs> the, same, the same thing. Like, if somebody said it to me, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, but I'm here, that's hot because it means that you're not, you're not subscribing to a white, thin, normative idea of a, an able-bodied idea of what you're supposed to say right here and you're admitting that you're also, you don't know and you're scared. That's a big deal. Yeah. And like, even just thinking about it, like, if you are able-bodied, white, thin, young, and, and you show up in bed, and if both of you can kind of be like, hey, like, I've never actually touched your body before, and I'm kind of not sure what works for you, but like, can we figure it out? And can you do the same for me? Like, isn't that the prescription for super amazing, like, sexual experiences and pleasure where now you're both going off of what your bodies actually want versus like that Cosmo article you read that told you to put it like a cold rock on someone's scrotum. Right. Like, is there an article that subscribes that you're supposed to put a cold rock on my balls? (laughs) Well, so there was this, uh, Kate McCombs told me this story where she asked people for like the worst advice they'd ever seen in Cosmo. And one of them was Cosmo wrote this, like, how to like upgrade your blowjob article. And one of them was give him a blowjob outside. And then to keep things interesting, press a cold stone behind his balls for like temperature play. Ew. Right. It's just kind of like, um, did we talk about that? Or are we just like putting things on people's <laughs> bodies now because this article said so, right? So again, it's that like stupid performance model where we're not actually asking people what their balls want. Um, so like, you know, like if, if we can just at a basic level with every interaction that we have that comes to sex and pleasure, just kind of like, Hey, I've never been with your body. Um, so like, help me figure out how to be awesome with you and to have someone say like, Hey, I've never, you know, experienced someone that has this kind of disability, but I think you're super hot and like, I want to do something super fun with you. So like, can you tell me like, how do you want to be touched and what should I do to support you? And, you know, to have someone ask me like, 
Hey, what kind of positions would feel really good for you? You know, like, okay, um, yeah, let's figure this out. (laughs) That would change the game. Change the game. But I think because we're so tied to performing that we, like, we're all our own little mini porn actors when it comes to sex. All of us. (laughs) Whatever body we're in, we all think we're in this mini porn, especially queer men that I've seen trying to fuck me. Stop looking at a camera that's not there, guys. Look at me. Don't look at a camera that's over here that's not existing. (laughs) (laughs) Please look at me when you fuck me. Please. The camera's not filming you. Because, no, it's happened to me a bunch of times where they'll look off at, they'll look off at, like, something. And I'm like, what are you looking at? Nothing? Oh, I'm here. I'm done here. There's nothing there. And you can tell that they're making a porn face at nobody. And I'm just like, no, I'm here. Please. I have so seen that porn face of like, I think this is what my face should look like to be as sexy as possible right now versus like, I don't want what you think your sexy face is. Like, I want that ugly, screwed up, like, oh my God, I don't know if I can take this face because it actually feels good. Yeah, but I'm about to come all over you, so <laughs> get ready. Like, that's, like, that's the face I want. Um, and on that note, <laughs> this was such a fun I could talk to you again for a whole other hour last I want you to like rapid fire quickly I was gonna ask you this at the beginning but then we got into deep stuff so what are the five things you're geeking out about right now generally um okay so the thing that I'm most geeking out about is the concept of play so I've been reading all kinds of neuroscientific studies about what play does to the brain and like neuroelasticity and how it helps to overcome trauma how it helps to overcome like relationship stuckness and all kinds of stuff. So I'm like super geeking out about the links between like play relationship health and um, trauma. Um, I'm planning my trauma summit for later this year. So I'm like super geeking out reading all about like trauma resilience and PTSD. Um, You just told me that the new orphan black like trailer is out. And so the second we get off of this call, I'm going to go totally watch that and then like super geek out and probably watch it like 20 times. Yeah. You need to to tweet me and tell me what you think about that because I can't wait to know. I totally will. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, In my personal life, I'm getting ready to move to Vancouver, Canada. And so like I'm geeking out about Yeah, so I'm, like, geeking out about finding neighborhoods and, like, I'm not really geeking out about moving because that part sucks. But, like, I'm excited to just, like, be there and find a place. Um, And Vancouver is my jam. It's warm all the time. The people are nice. It's a bit pricey when you first get there. So prepare yourself for that. But you're right by the ocean, which is, (sighs) as somebody who's never lived by the ocean, it's great. I was born and raised in San Diego. And so um, being back on the Pacific Ocean is just going to like make my heart feel like home. I'm just so yeah, excited. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to love it because it's just, it's just and, the, and first of all, Vancouverites are hot. Like just get ready for a swath of attractive people like coming, <laughs> coming at you because they're all, they're all coming on me, you know. Yeah, all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, that's it. That's awesome. I am excited to hear about all these things. And because I want people to, and because I love sharing the love, how do people get a hold of you? And how can they follow your work and ask you questions and hear you and do all your stuff? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, So my weekly sex podcast is Sex Gets Real. You can find that at sexgetsreal.com. I also have a Patreon for that. So patreon.com slash sexgetsreal. I have an annual summit that's all about sex and relationships and emotional intelligence called Explore More Summit. The website's the same, exploremoresummit.com. And then my coaching website is donsara.com. And Sarah is S-E-R-R-A, donsara.com. That's awesome. I'm so, I was so excited to talk to you. You're really great. And I cannot wait to talk to you. We'll have you back on the show in a few months for sure. Oh, my God. I would love that. Yeah, because this is like super fun and the hour zoomed by. Right, and it's it's only morning for you, so you can go back to sleep. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. This was fantastic. Oh, it was great, and we'll have you again. You're awesome. Thank you. You are, too. Bye. Bye. I loved listening to Dawn's story, and I loved hearing about how so much of her experience 
as a fat-bodied person mirrored my experience as a person with a disability trying to navigate sexuality and the level of pain and rejection and trauma and difference that she went through and the stuff she went through trying to access her body and the way she talks about sexuality as a fat-bodied person, as a marginalized person in a different body, it just makes me feel at home. I just felt really comfortable chatting with her and I really appreciate that she shared her experience and I hope that anybody listening to that, whether they live in a fat body, whether they live in a disabled body, whether they live in a marginalized body, an other body, a body of color, I hope that in some way you feel like you were validated through our conversation and I couldn't thank Dawn enough more for being so vulnerable and so open and sharing her story and it was just a pleasure to have her on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.